Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hey, hello. What's happening, Derek? Not much, man. Not much. It's uh, We just finished having a long weekend, so that was nice, having uh, family gatherings and barbecues and stuff like that, so that was good. Yeah, the first was Canada Day, and the fourth was uh, Independence Day in the United States. And mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody else has holidays over this time, or it's just us two countries. I don't know. I think every country arranges about the same. Like, there's every country has vacations snuck into the months, right? Yeah. But this is like I don't. I'm not familiar with a lot of other countries' uh, seasonal holidays. Fireworks day. That's what it is. It's just barbecue <laughs> and fireworks day. Yeah. That's what it is. And we get fireworks Friday, Saturday, Sunday, oh, yeah, Monday, yeah, yeah. and then yeah. the final. Whoa, who's got fireworks left? Because that's <laughs> happening got Tuesday. Left over. <laughs> School's out. Hey, yeah, let's just exactly. buy some extras <laughs> for next weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'll, that'll happen. Uh, we did the traditional uncovering of the air conditioned unit oh, ceremony yeah. this weekend. Yeah. So, yeah, the air conditioned unit is... Because once I turn that on for the first time... It doesn't go off. It does not. I'll, I'll turn it off and then I'll go out and I'll come back in. Somehow, it has mysteriously... Turned itself back on, <laughs> but no one has turned it on. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how that happens. The ghost. It's a ghost. Yeah, ghost comes in, turns it on because you know it's just not cold enough in there. Mine's been but. on since we got back from our trip. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No, we haven't turned ours on yet. I've uncovered it, but I haven't turned it on. I uncovered it and turned it on the day we got back from uh, our trip. And it's supposed to be getting really hot. Mm-hmm. Yes, this See, week. By the I time people mind, are listening to this, we're in the middle of a heat wave. I don't mind it being really hot during the day because mm. I'm at work in an air-conditioned building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not at home having to suffer. <laughs> yeah, so if it's getting hot, we'll uh, turn it on, make sure it's working and all that sort of stuff. Just so we can, And we noted, well, you saw Athena tonight just huffing panting, and puffing constantly and panting. panting and, yeah. yeah. She, she hasn't figured out to come down here. It's because cool it's down so here. much cooler yeah. in the basement, right? But uh, I went kayaking on the weekend. I heard. I saw the pictures. Yeah. John Brower, he uh, sent me a message. Hey, we should go kayaking. He's, he had a shoulder shoulder injury. Arm, shoulder, elbow, something injury. Oh, yeah. Um, How's that affecting last the paddling? Season. So, it's, no, it's, uh, he's got the clear. He's all good, good now? Head. He's all good now. Yes, yeah, so we... we so we went from, in Ajax, we went from Rotary Park here in Ajax, past the nuke plant in Pickering, yep. to uh, Rouge River out in Scarborough. That's a long route. Yeah, was, there and back was only about 16 kilometers. Yeah. Because we didn't follow the shoreline, right? Mm-hmm. We just cut straight across the big bays and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But it is weird seeing the nuclear power plant from the water. Oh, yeah, yeah. Different I don't, perspective. I've never paddled past it on oh, that yeah? side, yeah. And... Uh, it's like right against the water. Yes. So you're thinking, and we had this conversation when we were out there, what kind of security would they have in there? Because you think movies, right? They zip up, jump that <laughs> fence, and they're, it's right there. Yeah. And John's go, yeah, they've got like uh, a police force, right, ATF or oh, something yes. right in there. Yep. You wouldn't even make it to the door. <laughs> well, doesn't that sound like a challenge? <laughs> But, I mean, you, you see all the movies, right? And you're just oh, looking yeah. at the building oh, yeah. going, no, no. <laughs> they probably got some big fat security guard <laughs> named Phil. 
Hey, what are you guys doing? Get away from that fence. <laughs> there is an armed security team on each of the sites. I would imagine yeah. so. Yeah. There, I mean, especially since 9-11, I mean. That's when, so it, yeah, much. everything would have changed then. Yeah, a lot of serious changes from. But I mean, when you come around to the front, when you're driving by the front Mm -hmm. of the the power plant, like, I mean, there's a fence and there's like a 50 mile field and outer buildings and a big parking lot. (laughs) You know, you're sitting there looking through binoculars to see the power plant. What's in there? You get out on the water and it's like, I can walk up and touch it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm going to touch it. I've seen it by sailboat from from the lake. It's different. It's interesting. Yeah, it, 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 it's really different. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, yeah, it was a nice, easy paddle. Um, like I say, we good we weather, worked. calm oh, water, beautiful. No big waves. Yeah, no, no, a little bit of a breeze, but enough to keep the. the what was the temperature like? The water's warm, and yeah. not just behind. I mean, behind the nuke plant was a lot mm-hmm. warmer, but um, Lake Ontario on a whole, oh yeah, was a lot warmer than I think mm-hmm. it should be. Hmm. You know, like we actually, on the way back, we stopped at uh, Pickering in Liverpool, uh, Frenchman's Bay there. Yeah. And we got out to stretch the legs for a minute and we walked in and to the water and I'm just like, this is like a <laughs> lot warmer than it should be. Yeah. So the leg must have flipped over. That's, yeah. Yeah. Big time. Lots of bird traffic. Canada geese, swans, uh, so seagulls, terns, cormorants. cormorants. Yeah. So many cormorants. Yeah. Big flocks of them too. Yeah. But it was a nice morning to be out in the water, you know, early morning. We were out, we, we launched at 7.30 and we were back home by noon, just before noon, I guess. So we were out on the water for like four hours or something like and that. And nice having it in the morning when it's a bit cooler. Yeah, it was cooler. There wasn't a ton of boats out and whatnot. The only thing, I, I enjoy the kayak, but the only thing I prefer the canoe over the kayak the kayak, you're stuck in that one position. You, yeah. You have a bit more mobility in the canoe. Right. Like, you can only move your feet yeah. so much and your yeah. legs in there. And you, after, like, four hours, you're getting a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Whereas the canoe, I can sit, I can kneel, I can put one leg out and my feet under. Or yeah. Whatever. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that in a kayak. Well, not the kind we got anyway. Yeah, but uh, no, it was, it was nice to get out in the in the kayak and do a nice little paddle mm-hmm. around and out on the lake. Yeah, we zip you zip right on the lake. And it was nice and calm and just paddle along, no hurry. I think he's he said we were doing like six six seven kilometers an hour. Oh yeah, yeah, but it, we weren't even pushing it either. Yeah, just do 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 chit chat. Packs are very efficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So had a had a great time. And, yeah, I got I got to get use, more use out of my kayak. Mm-hmm. And I, I like I say, the canoe is just so easy to, you know, throw on and boom, boom, boom. Yeah, boom, boom. it's comfortable. It's what you're used to. Yeah. Right? And yeah. imagine there's, there's a lot of kayakers out there who are probably thinking to themselves, well, I don't know about canoes, but I know kayaks are super comfortable all day long, right? It's what you're used to. Yeah, you know what we call those people? Freaks. <laughs> 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 no, that, that's exactly what it is. It's what you're used to, yeah. right? So, but yeah, no, I, I got to get more. Uh, Use out of, oh, you know what I did get use out of? My paddle buddy. Oh. Remember when I was at Canoe Copia? Yeah, yeah, the par- Parks the Paddle. Yeah. Uh, paddle-buddy.com. It's this little... How does it attach? Half moon thing with a suction cup at the bottom. Oh, it a suction cup. So you put the suction cup on your mm-hmm. your your deck and you, you know, press a little button and it suctions it there. Yeah. So when you're paddling along, you want to take a picture, you just prop your... Clicking in place. Yeah. 
You just you just put the uh, paddle into there yeah. and it holds it in place, and you can take your pictures or reach for some gear. Or mm-hmm. If you're fishing, you can reel in a fish, and yeah. the the paddle is just sitting there right in front of you, not rolling back and forth or off yeah. to one side or whatever. So yeah, uh, paddle dash buddy dot com, and uh, check it out. It's pretty cool. The paddle buddy holder is there for when you need both hands free to take a photo, reel in a fish, or just stop to get into your gear. The no-hassle suction cup paddle holder attaches to any kind of smooth, non-porous surface in seconds to securely hold your paddle. New, now included, adhesive disc included for multi-surface usage. There's this disc. Oh, okay. So instead of so there's it's a, a rough surface yeah, on your kayak. Yeah, it's a glue thingy. You just peel this yeah. off. It sticks there, and then hmm. the suction couple s- stick to the top of the disc here. So. so I think we talked about this before. Like some people yeah. are probably listening saying, well, I'll just use a tether. But we discussed this, and we discussed about, you know, like uh, when you're leashed to your paddleboard or you're leashed to your paddle or whatever, it, you have a tangling risk if you mm-hmm. were to go over or fall out or whatever, right? Or your name is Sean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you end up getting somehow tied to your paddle between your paddle and your kayak, and so this thing here is it'll if you do dump or it'll break free and it will separate. You mm-hmm. don't have to worry about a long cord wrapping around your neck while you're uh, trying to get up out, out underwater, or if one of those Lake Ontario freshwater sharks grabs exactly it. one of those. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, one of those, one of those things. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice day to get out uh, on the water for sure. A uh, little update here about the Arctic Cowboys. Oh, yes. So they launched July 2nd uh, and are having massive problems with the ice flows. It is very early in the season. Mm-hmm. Still going to be a lot of ice flows. So they follow the cracks, right? So they, they look out, of the, they get up to some height. They look over the, the ice flows and they see where the cracks are that they can follow along. Yeah. And so they were doing that. But the ice was moving about five miles per hour. And the shifting was closing up their paths. So as they were getting starting to follow their paths, they'd get somewhere saying, we got to go this way, and it'd be closed all of a yeah. sudden because the ice is. Yeah. Uh, so they decided they were going to head back to Button, Button Point where they started. Mark and Jeff dumped, uh, but were able to get themselves back out of the, uh, and into the boat and continue on. They're all wearing the uh, uh, cold suits. water dry suit yeah. stuff, so they were they were good that way. Um, there is a large blockade of ice now blocking the way. So they're sort of stuck where they are right now until that moves out of the way. Uh, they're taking the time to balance and redistribute the supply loads and make adjustments to rigging and hardware. Now I noticed they also had to make, I guess, uh, fix a, a loose wire on one of the bilge pumps. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, uh, getting all that done, you know, what this, I mean, want to look at the positive spin this is a good thing because now they realize oh we got to make this change we got to make that change yeah they, yeah yeah they've got yeah. the time to do it yeah They're and not having to find time and some people are going oh yeah 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 you know they already get chased back to land but you know what if if it was easy everybody would do it right this is not an easy thing this is the challenge this is the this is one of those things it's 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 uh, maybe 20 years from now everybody's going to be able to do it but Right now, it, it is a difficult and dangerous endeavor to mm-hmm. paddle the Northwest Passage. And as I say, you have to be flexible on an expedition like this as plans can change daily. Exactly. And that's where, so and I remember talking to him before and we had discussed it ourselves, is like, uh, so right now they have 
pretty darn near 24 days of sunlight, or at least there's only moments of dusk, you know, from like mm-hmm. 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. or something like that. But uh, if they get a good weather window, they just paddle for 24 hours because they have to be counting on the fact that there will be a few days or maybe a week at a time where they'll get windbound somewhere yeah. and not be able to move at all. Yep. So so at least they'll have the opportunity when the weather is good that they could do a 24-hour paddle or something if needed. Make hay while the sun is shining. Exactly. <laughs> so we'll keep up to date. Um, what is it? Arctic Cowboys dot dot com. com? Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you want to find out, they have a... They're a daily blog and everything on there. They're on Facebook as well, Arctic Cowboys. The Arctic Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, they have their blog. They have a little uh, map that they follow along. You can see where they are and stuff like that. Yeah, you'll be able to, tr- you'll be able to follow five or four dots. So all four of them have their own uh, GPS tracking device. Right. And uh, so you'll be able to follow them. You can look at each of the profiles. It's it's a very comprehensive website. Uh, like me and a, a couple of people at work but have been perusing the, the website and following along, waiting for things to start happening, right? So it's it's very exciting to see. You'll be able to learn about each individual backgrounds, histories, and so on. There's a lot of information there. Can't wait to, mm-hmm. as time goes on and they get moving. Yeah. Well, you said uh, Wednesday, Thursday. Things look like they should be able to get going. So yes, yeah. Right now they're resting up because they they had a hard push. They were trying to get onto the water, and they, so they had lack of sleep. Now that they've been chased ashore again, they hope to get back out again soon. Yeah, recharge their batteries and yeah. everything else. So, but the, the ice flow thing is going to be a problem for the first couple of weeks until oh. all that ice yeah. freezes up or thaws, thaws out, out. And, go, yeah. and goes away. They're they're going to have this issue with the ice flows blockading them. Yep, yep. Hopefully everything is just the winds start to move them and. They get some uh, nice water to mm-hmm. paddle on. So imagine how cool. So this is one of the things that it, it's hard to conceive of. So the, it's this is salt water. This is ice on salt water. It's got to be cold. It's got to be super cold. I don't want to find out. <laughs> I'll let them find out. Yeah. Um, close to home here, Aurelia, Ontario, north end of Lake Simcoe, just north of Toronto. The Aurelia OPP have charged a couple kayaking on Lake Simcoe with no personal flotation devices on their watercraft or in their watercraft. Yeah, so they didn't, they weren't wearing one mm-hmm. nor that they had one on board. So they were just counting on their luck, I guess. Well, July 1st. Yeah. What do you think the marine units of the cops are going to be doing on July 1st? Oh, yeah. They're going to be low yeah. out there. Yeah. They're going to be looking for drinking yeah. and safety. Exactly. I, I've seen this thing in a couple of places. People posted it and some of the comments, oh, way to go, OPP. Yeah. Do you got Just nothing, target. Do you got nothing better got to nothing do? nothing better to do? Like, are you kidding? So so they can either do this uh, enforcement or they can just say, well, I guess we'll just go in and clean up the bodies when they're done. Right. And I don't want to get into that part of it because if you Google oh, I know. accidents on the water, it's there very, have been so many over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. very sad. We, very we could do two whole shows on yeah. it, like a memorial shows. There's too many tragedies yeah. and people have to be smarter about going out in the water. So an inflatable kayak was observed crossing the lake. Officers stopped to talk to the couple who were out without any personal flotation devices. They were charged with operating a human-powered pleasure craft without a personal flotation device. 
members of Aurelia OPP are committed to public safety, delivering pro- proactive and innovative policing in partnership with our communities. Officers want to remind all waterway users there is no one single cause that leads to drownings, but there are common contributors. Basic safety practices such as wearing a life jacket or a personal flotation device while on a vessel or in the water can be a difference between enjoying the water or not. Be aware that wearing a PFD is the law and the Marine Police are out looking to make sure you have your safety gear. And I got to think the number of accidents and drownings over the last year, it's going to be more prevalent this summer. They're going to be out there. Yep. Oh, so yeah. don't just risk it. There's a lot more people out on the water now post-COVID. Yep. A lot of people have bought boats and they're either canoes or kayaks or stand-up paddle boards. And, and it, for your own safety, you should be wearing a, 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 a like a life vest. Mm-hmm. You really should. It's, it's a good investment. Your life is worth the investment. And like I say, on a holiday weekend, a long weekend. Yeah. Where do you think they're going to do? I know, I know, right? They're going to be yeah. out there. There's going to be they're some enforcement. They're going to be looking for you. Well, you, you hear about them every weekend. They, you hear about them patrolling, extra patrols on the roads for drunk drivers mm-hmm. to keep everybody safe. Well, they're doing the same thing on the water. They're doing extra paroles, well, patrols. Well, I left to- my PFD at home because there was no uh, room after I put all the beer in here. <laughs> <laughs> the beer took up too much room. <laughs> I figured, do I want the beer? Or do I want. Well, there's no sense going if we can't take beer. <laughs> yeah, use your use your brains when you're out there and do it safely. Yep. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's talk animals. Animals. There what about animals? Of, there was a lot of animal sightings uh, and stories. One of them actually I, I found later on. A guy in Redondo Beach was fishing from a kayak, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden a sea lion. I guess he he figures the sea lion smelt the fish. Jumped up onto his kayak. <laughs> he ended up having to fork over his fish <laughs> to get up. the sea lion to leave. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, humpback whale. Kayaker in Australia had the experience of a lifetime when a humpback whale swam beside his kayak. The whale followed the followed paddler Glenn Anir from Coogee Beach to Bondi, a distance of over two miles. That's a long time because usually you see them and then they're off, right? Mm-hmm. Paddler said the whale was so close to his surf ski he could nearly touch it with his paddle. Drone captured footage. There is a video of it going around. The drone ca- captured footage of the humpback whale and kayaker sharing the ocean. Footage is credited to Drone Shark App, Australian drone company me- monitoring beaches for shark and marine life activity. So they're the ones that put out the little. Hey, there's a, Warning, we've a great white close yeah. to your beach. Get yeah. people out of the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an active time of year for humpbacks off the coast of Australia. Up to 50,000 whales are expected to pass Australia's east coast during the annual migration from Antarctica to the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, like a humpback. I've, I've been a big boat to do the whale watching. Have you seen the set up paddle board with the two people on it? That was uh, the humpback whale was like passing under them and circling them. Yeah, yeah. So that's another. I think they, they were. I don't know what language they're speaking, but I, it could be Finnish or they. I don't know whether somewhere foreign wasn't English. But the, it was funny, uh, like that, that humpback whale came so close, the fins were popping out of the water right next to them, and, and the whale was just curious. It was just kept mm-hmm. on rolling and looking at them. 
but once in a while you see the you'd see the camera pan over the guy and he's like looking with fear on his face he sees the camera on him and <laughs> he fakes a smile yeah. and it's like <laughs> we're having a good time we're and then, getting divorced because this was her idea <laughs> and then you see him paddling away really fast he's like hauling he's hauling and trying to get away from the whale it's like because you know the, the whale's curious but and but it could accidentally dump them in the water right, right? Oh, look, they fell in the water. Let's see how well they taste. Let's <laughs> take a little nibble. Let's <laughs> take a little nibble off that leg. Uh, speaking of, just when you thought it was safe to go in the water. Oh, yeah. That terrifying moment that two paddle boarders were circled by a hammerhead shark off the coast of Florida. Mm-hmm. That's like that's like all your Jaws nightmares. I know, right? Come to life. Yeah. You, you watch Jaws... And you're never going to the lake. Then finally, oh, yeah, that was just a kid. I was just a kid. And then one day you're out on a paddleboard. <laughs> uh, Malia Tribble of Fort Lauderdale and her paddling partner, Gabe Barras, were caught in a scary situation as they were completing the crossing for cystic fibrosis event where participants travel 80 miles from the Bahamas to Florida on a paddleboard to raise money. There in itself is a uh, 80 miles. That's a long way. So right? I, and I measured this a few times. I, I sent you an email on it. Yeah. I measured the distance a few miles. I wasn't able to come up with how they found it. it's 80 miles because all of my measurements range from about 120 to 129, depending on what point on the Bahamas Island and what point in Florida. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm not sure where the 80 is. I, t- I tried yeah. finding it. It's it's further a island off of yeah. or something, tiny Maybe. island or something. But still, yeah. regardless of one hundred and twenty miles or eighty miles, and we're talking miles, not kilometers, miles. So that's a long way to go on a stand-up paddleboard. That's open ocean. Right? We're talking swells and waves and and sharks <laughs> and sharks. Apparently, uh, as they were paddling in the ocean with no land in sight. Tribble felt a few bumps on the bottom of her board, but was unaware a curious hammerhead shark was swimming right underneath her as she was in the middle of the gulf. And see, that's how it happens. Yeah. That's how Jaws... Ha- that's like, that's a movie. <laughs> that's, a, that's a movie starting right there. Her husband, who was on the support, vehicle, uh, support boat, uh, spotted the animal's tall dorsal fin as it rose up behind her board... And he directed his wife to paddle toward him. Paddle this way. Ah, hey, come here for a second. <laughs> Gonna suck so, you. Yeah. Someone else on the board on the boat informed the paddle boarder that the shark keeps following you. Tribble pulled her board close to the boat and sit, sat down on it as they called over to Barajas to stay seated on his board a few feet out. Afterward, the pair kept close to the boat as they continued the journey back to Florida. Reflecting on the moment, Tribble said she never felt unsafe. We felt calm. I didn't have time to allow myself to be scared. Uh, Even an encounter as unique as mine would not deter me from competing in the crossing again. Hmm. (laughs) I I, I just find it crazy that people would do that distance on a stand-up paddleboard. Yeah. Yeah. That's so far. I'm sorry, but you would have seen me running across the water when that shark shows up. <laughs> shark, you say? <laughs> we are not having any of that today. Just say no today. Uh, the other one is an alligator. So, 
They are not entirely... And there's another video of this one. You've got to see this one. They are not entirely sure if this guy was just fishing and hooked into a gator or was actively hunting gators. But either way, getting thrown into the water is definitely not something you want to happen. No, not when, when you're, you're next to a gator. into a gator. <laughs> of course, there's ways to avoid that, like not using... Uh, sorry, like using... A more stable boat a flat, than a canoe. Flat bottom swamp boat. Something. He's in a canoe. Yeah. It was actually a uh, scanoo. The old Coleman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the old yeah. Coleman scanoos. Alligators can grow huge, up to 15 feet long, over 1,000 pounds. They are powerful creatures. They lunge fast in water and on land when attacking. Their most powerful weapon in the attack is their bite which is one of the strongest in the world, has been measured up to 2,000 pounds per square inch. That's crazy. So, uh, say, there's a video of this man, and it shows him pulling in a gator standing in the very front of the canoe. So, you know <laughs> you, your seat that you were sitting the in? Unstable in the unstable part. Yes. Yeah. When you're in the bow of the, of the canoe, yeah. he's standing in this thing, and he's hauling up on this thing, and he's got some sort of spear-like thing. You can't get much more unstable than that, but then you add an angry gator into the mix. <laughs> Let's see what happens. This is not going to go well. No. As he pulls on the line, the gator flips and flops and nails the side of the canoe, sending the man flying out of the canoe into the water, seemingly landing right on the gator. <laughs> he quickly swims to shore a few feet away, and the gator is nowhere to be seen. Yeah, he was only like five feet from shore. <laughs> but the gator hits. He goes in. Yeah. And the gator get rolled. He could have had him and rolled him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's like, you had to see that one coming. I know, right? <laughs> like, was he, was, he wasn't surprised by this, I hope. And this is one of those things that you're thinking, I wonder if there was a, here, hold my beer and watch this moment <laughs> just before the, before yeah. somebody started recording. Check here, this out. Hold my beer and watch this. I can get this gator. But, uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so I wonder if he was fishing. He could, I don't think he was fishing for gators, but if you hook into something that's that heavy to pull out of the water, shouldn't you just cut your line and run away? Well, there it was. N I don't know what he thought he was going to do with it. What was he going to do? Because usually you have a, like when you watch like, the the swamp people and yeah, gator yeah. hunters yeah. and all that and even reading online how they do it you have a gun yes and when his head comes up you shoot him yeah dude had no gun <laughs> he had this spear thing <laughs> i don't know what he i don't know how he thought he was going to kill this gator yeah. and then get it to shore or in it wasn't getting in the boat i think maybe he thought he just had a big fish or something it's like <laughs> Well, no, because when you see the video, the tail is definitely right there. Oh, so he and knew they're talking it was a gator. Of, he knew it was a gator. Huh. But what was going through his head and his buddy's head, heads, <laughs> collective, because I believe there was somebody else in the back of the canoe, and there was buddy filming on shore, at least one buddy on shore, yeah. because when he went in, they were yelling at him to get out. <laughs> <laughs> get out of the water. Like, at what point do you not just say okay time out here fred time out <laughs> hang on I think of it. what are you going to do with him now what Where, are, you do with him? are you bringing him in the boat are you bringing him to <laughs> land because he is not fitting in this yeah. canoe 
<laughs> this is not a fish. He's not going to stare and flop. Fred, He's you are not coming you. in my boat ever again. <laughs> it's the last time. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Hilarious. But yeah, we'll have to, I'll have to find that one and post it. In going from the wildlife aspect of this week's show into okay. the archaeological aspect of this week's show. <laughs> okay. A Mayan canoe surrounded by animal and human bones has been found in Portal to the Underworld in Mexico. So I don't know if, if you know much about, they used to use the snotes and stuff like that as yeah, this, sacrificial yeah, 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 spots yeah. and stuff like that, right? A wooden canoe found in an underwater cave in Mexico is likely used as part of a Mayan ritual. Wooden canoes surrounded by human and animal skeletons near the ancient Mayan city of Chichen Itza may have been used as part of a ritual. 2021 divers in Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula discovered the boat and bones deep inside an underwater cave located 15 feet or 4.6 meters below this water surface. In total, archaeologists found 38 skeletal remains, Ooh. Uh-huh. including a human metatarsal fo- foot bone, most likely from a woman, as well as bones from an armadillo, dog, turkey, and eagle. Well, quite a bit in there. Right? The abundance of armadillo bones and the presence of the human foot have led researchers to conclude that the canoe may have been used by the Mayan Maya during a ritual and was intentionally placed inside the cave. This idea is based on the fact that armadillos are adept swimmers, capable of holding their breath underwater and using their claws to propel themselves forward. You wouldn't think an armadillo could know, swim I like know. that. When I read that, right? it's like, wait a sec, this is, an arm- this is one of these little things that like click into its own shell. Right? The researchers think the armadillo remains could have been an allusion to the entry of the animal into the underworld. The Maya also believe uh, that caves and cenotes, or the sinkholes, were portals to the underworld and used armadillos as an avatar for God L. I, I didn't understand. I don't know. I thought, yeah. when I read it, I thought maybe you'd actually type out something. No, no that's what they something. said. God, and then the capital letter L. A jaguar di- uh, deity with a cape resembling the armored pattern of a armadillo shell. There are also known images of Mayan ceramics in which the armadillo appears as a stool of the gods, which characterizes that place their feet on. This would be directly linked to the archaeological evidence observed in the snote with the armadillo serving as the manifestation of the deity. Pretty neat, I must say. The canoe itself also provides archaeologists with further evidence that it was used as part of a sacred ceremony as it contained a very heavy prow and stern that would have been difficult to navigate in swift currents and was most likely never seaworthy. So it was just uh, made to use in the, in the ceremonies. When the boat was first discovered during the excavation ahead of a railroad project, archaeologists tentatively dated it between A.D. 830 and 950, However, a new carbon analysis shows the wood of the vessel dates to the 16th century, the 1500s. That's pretty old. Yeah. 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 So, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Nice Holy little cow. find. Yes. Yeah. It, so, they say it, it wasn't really it wasn't really seaworthy, but it was more ceremonial, I think. Yeah. 
it was a ceremonial watercraft, so it didn't need to be seaworthy, really. No, no. Just but d- still, it's interesting to see that there was a basically, it was basically a dugout, wasn't it? Whatever that, it that, is. Yeah, they don't, they don't say yeah. exactly. So it's just a wooden canoe, so. But you got to think maybe once it sank, yeah, yeah. everything sort of floated out of it, yeah. right? So that's pretty cool. Hmm. I, yeah, there's these little things you learned about armadillos. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, yeah. And funny thing is, I've been to Chichen Itza, and yeah. we went and checked out some snotes and stuff like that. Oh, so. okay, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Maybe I've seen it and didn't know I seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. I just didn't know I seen uh, it. I've been there. Been there, done that. Um, What's next? We've got a couple oh, things yes. here. Oh, so the Shining Water Paddle, an initiative by members of the Chippewa of Georgina Islands First Nation, held its third annual ceremonial journey June 5th as they paddle around Lake Simcoe, uh, which has a shoreline perimeter of 303 kilometers. Again, Lake Simcoe is uh, just north of Toronto here. For Vicki Wolski, paddling is life. We're exercising our inherent right to, practice, to, to raise awareness about the concerns affecting our waters by being visible and conducting ceremony through our territory, says Walski, organizing, organizer of Shining Water Paddle. Shining Waters is the Anishinaabe name for Lake Simcoe, which is located in the southern Ontario in the territory of the Chippewa Tri-Council, uh, Georgina Island, Rama, and Beausoleil First Nations. Georgina Island is located in the southern shore of Lake Simcoe. Uh, the Chippewa of Georgina Island First Nation have been living under a long-term boil water advisory for years. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing how many First Nations communities are under water boils and yeah. water problems. 2017, 2.6 million investment from the Indigenous Services Canada was implemented to upgrade the community's water treatment plant. However, residents in the eastern and southern part of the community still do not have access to treated drinking water. Uh, Lake Simcoe is also being threatened these days from many sides, development, proposed highways, sewage demands, and it is not only a First Nation concern. As women, it is our responsibility to speak for the water as we have that special connection as life givers. But the health of the lake and all waters is everyone's concern, not just First Nation, Walski says. Uh, I, I know there's water walks as well. Yes. Uh, they get a bunch of women get yeah. together and they walk and big distances too mm-hmm. to bring awareness to the health of water. Shining Water Paddle has been invited to participate in the 29th annual intertribal canoe journey paddle to Muckleshoot, July 31st to August 6th in Seattle, Washington. This journey is is where annually an estimated 120 canoes from Pacific Northwest coastal nations come together from their communities to meet up and paddle to a host community. This year's host community is Muckleshoot Tribe in Seattle, uh, Washington. That's pretty cool. Yes. That's, so they, like I say, they've got invi- uh, an invite to that this year. Uh, be nice to be able to afford to send them out that way. Uh, to be able to be part of the tribal canoe journey with our relations out west would be such a valuable experience in creating healthy relationships, culture sharing, creating allies. 
to be able to see the customs and the work on the ocean waters will be an experience to bring home and share and possibly creating future opportunities for others, says Walski. Shining Waters Paddles Shining Water Paddle is a grassroots collective and is seeking funding and donations to secure flights and accommodations to be able to be a part of this journey. Donations can be made on their GoFundMe account or directly to shiningwaterpaddle at yahoo.com. That's cool, though. You get all these First Nation communities together and they can like 120 canoes. Yeah, that's... <laughs> right? Like herding cats, right? It's that's that'd be cool. Yeah, if I if I was part of that, that'd be you do do uh, whatever you could to get some cash to get out there and participate. Oh yeah, yeah, right? absolutely, yeah, yeah. So hopefully uh, they get enough donations that they're able to send some people out there and uh, participate in this. Um, bum, 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 bum. Oh, I got one left here, and it's a big one because I have never heard of this before it's unfamiliar to me too i think it seems like i've heard about it i just don't know what it is until you sent this to me and it's like oh this is this is really worth learning about and i was reading an article on something else and they mentioned this i'm like what i've never heard of this yes yeah. what is right? that so yeah it's it's uh it's kind of different it's so it's called secondary drowning mm-hmm so you, you think, you know, drowning is something that happens when yeah. you're submerged in water. And in most cases, that's exactly the case of drowning. You're underwater. Submerged, you, can't get air. Right? There's another type of drowning called secondary drowning that can occur after a drowning close call. Uh, Melissa Luxton, a trauma prevention specialist at Banner University Medical Center, Phoenix, explains that secondary drowning is a complication of drowning. It happens when water gets into the lungs, irritates the lungs, lining, and causes fluid to build up in a condition called pulmonary edema. A person who experiences a drowning close call can be out of the water and walking around normally before signs of secondary drowning become apparent. Studies suggest that secondary drowning may be responsible for roughly 10 to 15% of all drowning. That's a big number. And it's totally preventable if you are aware of the symptoms. So if you are running some rapids. Yes. And you capsize, you know, you flip out yep. and you're you're fighting and you, you know, manage to just get back to shore and you have issues. And then, you know, okay, you didn't drown. You're I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. You're fine. You, I got a cough, you, but I'm fine. You get warm. And then like a day, two days later, all of a sudden... Mm-hmm. You weren't fine. Yeah. Right? Um, so symptoms. This condition doesn't develop right away. Symptoms of secondary drowning may begin within four hours after being in the water, but they may not be apparent for 24 to 48 hours. According to the American College of Emergency Physicians, with secondary drowning in adults or children, you may notice... Difficulty breathing, coughing, chest pain, lethargy, and changes in mood or behavior. 
You don't have to take in a lot of water for secondary drowning to occur. People think ingesting more water makes it more dangerous, but that isn't necessarily true. Secondary drowning is relatively rare. Most people will get into a bit of trouble uh, in the pool or get knocked over by a wave, jump right back up. The problem is if secondary drowning goes unrecognized, it can be deadly, and that's why it's so important to be vigilant. I don't think I've ever given it a second thought. Oh, I know. Well, yeah, and uh, as it turns out, it's just if you get some liquid in your lungs and if your lungs, like if it's dirty water or it's something or there's something in it, so it's going to start to tickle your lungs and it's going to irritate your lungs and your lungs are going to want to produce its own liquids to encapsulate what has showed up in it. And so it's, it's, it's a natural body mechanism to start creating more liquid in your lungs. Now, there's another one here. They say secondary drowning is not the same as drowning and dry drowning. Drowning happens when you can't breathe properly because you're submerged in liquid, usually water. It doesn't always lead to death. If you survive drowning, you can have side effects ranging from uh, no lasting injuries to brain damage. With dry drowning, water doesn't reach your lungs. You breathe in water and your vocal cords spasm and close up so you can't breathe. Drowning and dry drowning happen right away, whereas the secondary drowning timeline can have symptoms developing a day or two after being submerged in water. Yeah, so it's deceptive. Mm-hmm. It's So you're just trucking along afterwards. Maybe you had a, a bit of a rollover in, in some white water or something, you got a bit of a mouthful and kind of hack up some liquid you're kind of you're kind of you know worried about oh yeah you know, <laughs> you know but but then uh but then you uh you, you start your lungs start to react to this foreign body in it and your your lungs are going to start to form its own liquid its own mm-hmm. liquid layer trying to trying to protect itself right and it's a it's an automatic reaction depending on you know it it, it could change from person to person depending it could also depend heavily on the water that you've ingested or taken in how much yeah exactly so yeah like you know and i when i'm reading this thing not to bring up uh past burt reynolds trips (laughs) yes yeah yeah yeah. but when martin went and and scott went over the water so yeah so scott didn't go over himself but martin went over the waterfall and he was submerged he said that it well, and your brain does different stuff when you're underwater, so time kind of dilates or expands and whatever. But he said he went so deep that it was dark. Mm-hmm. And I saw the video afterwards, and you could see he was underwater for a very long time for the GoPro video. And when he finally came to the surface, I'm surprised he didn't inhale some water. So his his main issue was that he had, you know, damaged his knees and and so on. But it, it, it's it, we were far enough away. Like we did get back that we didn't spend another night in woods that day. But it's one of those things. Maybe he would like just truck on home in his car. He thinks he's fine. He gets home. He got some water on the lungs. Didn't think much of it. You know, pain starts. And then if you don't go to the emergency room and say, "Listen, I I had a near drowning." I, I think I have water in my lungs, and so they'd know to look at it, right? Yeah. But otherwise, it's like, well, what's wrong with this guy? Why, why is he coughing like this? Why is he having trouble breathing? Is he having a heart attack? You don't know. So unless you're familiar with the signs and symptoms of, of what to look for, so even if it's your kids, if you're if you're out paddling with your kids and they have a an event in the water or they're playing or whatever and or they fall out of the canoe or whatever, 
and it's 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 good to know these symptoms, right? Know what to look for and and know how to react to it. You mm-hmm. got to know the the timelines and the dangers so that you can alert go to emergency room and say, "Listen, I think this is what the problem is." Yeah, like I say, I mean, until I came across it, I would have no idea. I know, yeah. I can't say I've ever heard of secondary drowning before. I imagine a lot of people listening right now are going, oh, I heard about it. Well, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. So So, now I know. mm -hmm. How secondary drowning is diagnosed? A healthcare professional can recognize or check for common signs and symptoms, abnormal breathing or fluid on the lungs, low blood oxygen levels, and an elevated heart rate. I think the key one that, that, because there's a lot of other signs and symptoms, but if you're not getting enough air, you're going to have low blood levels, low O2. Mm-hmm. And so that's easily measured in the hospital and so on. The most important thing is to seek medical attention for any significant incidents on the water, Luxton says. Uh, how secondary drowning is treated. You need to get the person to the emergency room if you suspect secondary drowning. It's crucial to seek medical care since secondary drowning can be fatal. Depending on how severe it is, it can be treated with oxygen, antibiotics, and diuretics, which can can help eliminate fluid on the lungs. In more severe cases, you could need a breathing machine for mechanical ventilation. Yeah, force you to breathe. Right? Hmm. That's scary. It is scary. It is, especially considering that how many times have I, have uh, my, like I know myself, I've dumped in like uh, doing whitewater kayaking, whitewater canoeing. I've I've had a lot of events and incidents, and so it's it's like now that I know what to look for, it's good to know that, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's good to be able to write. And and if you're in a group, if you're off doing something, it's you know before you'd like you kind of might ignore these signs and symptoms and not really think much of it. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, today he got some water in his lungs. He'll be fine. Well, maybe not. So, you know, you got to watch the symptoms. And, and this is something, if you're back in the backcountry, it's like if you have a near drowning event, it's it, it might be a good idea to, you know, either back out of the trip right away or, or just pay attention to the signs and symptoms. You do have time. But uh, depending on how deep into the woods you are, you may not have the time. Yeah, and you, you've really got to keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, now if I see anybody that's I know, right? capsized it's, or goes over or whatever. It's a wake-up call. It's like, you're hey, you're going to start going, eh, I got to yeah. keep an eye on this guy. Yeah. Oh, man. Or if you're not with that group, you say, hey, listen, this is the things to look for if uh, you know if things change or if things progress, this is what you look for. And, mm-hmm. and then you just go separate ways or whatever. It's like you know, oftentimes you're you're running the same set of rapids with people or, you know, there's different events, different incidents. Hmm. Very interesting. I uh, I had I didn't even know about or hear about this. Nope, that was a new one on me. Yes. Huh. Um. Hey, Yukon River Quest. I know we talked about that. It started. Is oh the race? The race is actually on now. What's th- that reminds me? So we talked about. Oh my God, this was. A couple seasons ago, a couple years ago, four score. We talked about the brigade. Yeah, the TV so, show. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen any of the episodes? No. no. Apparently, it's on BBC right now. Yeah, I've, I I know when it's around, and it's on some places that you if you pay for it and stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, I've never actually been able to sit down and 
it and watch it. So a buddy of mine, he messaged me yesterday. I think it was yesterday. He says, hey, have you heard about the Brigade Tuesday? Well, today's Tuesday. It was today he texted me. And I said, yeah, I know about the Brigade. I heard about it. I'd never seen it because it's, I'd never seen it come on to TV. I expect it on Discovery Channel or History Channel. And he says, oh, it's, well, it's on BBC right now. So, you, so I don't have any BBC channels mm-hmm. th- that I know of. But uh, but yeah, so it's uh, it's on TV right now. It's one of those things I've been meaning to watch and take a look at. Because it's a very challenging route. I can't remember the exact route, but you're basically going from uh, the northwest of the U.S. to the northeast of Canada, Hudson Bay. Yeah, they're heading up to Hudson Bay. Yeah, right? and they're duplicating an old uh, trade route or something. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, that would be a difficult route to take. Especially with a big canoe like that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. Yeah, at some point I'm sure we're going to watch it yeah. and we'll find it and grab it somewhere. But uh, I don't know. But uh, yeah, no, the uh, um, July 4th, they was, uh, yeah, the, the Yukon River Quest. Everybody went running for the water. Nice. Right? So th- that's that's the, how long is that race? I can't remember the details. Uh, it's a few days. Uh, it's like a week or something is like it? that. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the details. There's too many things I've been looking at lately. I know, I know. But yeah, there's, what, 134 together. racers, 54 teams, Mm-hmm. right? And, uh, yeah, they, they took off. We, I know we had posted some video of them of getting ready to go and stuff like that. And then, yeah, they off they went. And yeah, it's... Good time to be had by all. That's for there's sure. a lot of stuff. Like it's it's we're great right into the center of the of the season of all the activities that are going on. It's a really exciting time. I'm I'm looking so much forward to and rooting on the, uh, the Arctic Cowboys as they make their their attempt at the uh, Northwest Passes crossing. You mm-hmm. know, manual paddle powered crossing, first of a kind. So it's uh, that's going to be exciting. There's a few things that are going on right now that I've that I'm keeping my ear to the ground and keep an eye on. Well, that and there's a lot of races going on now. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, tis the season, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, there was something else I was going to. Uh, I can't remember what it was. It'll come to you after we're done recording. Right after we're done recording, there's something else I was going <laughs> to mention that I was interested in watching, and I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I don't know oh, either. Hmm? Uh, Jim Baird and Tori Baird. They're on National Geographic. National Geographic. On Disney. Good for them. Uh, so it was in the States a couple weeks back it started. But it'll be on Disney Plus if, but it's, it's on if Disney, you... But it's on Disney. Yeah, we watched it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. How was so, it? Not too shabby. Yeah? Yeah, it just shows that they're getting out there and, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the, with they, they got their son, Wesley, yeah. who has uh, Fox, Fox G1. Fox G1, right? yeah. And they got Hudson, Huddy. Uh, I don't see see one now. I guess two, yeah, one. I don't know. He's just a little guy. So they're out there with the two kids, mm-hmm. like young young kids yeah. and and whatnot, and they're they're figuring out how to do stuff. And yeah. I know eventually they'd love to have an off grid cabin. Yes, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's they, amazing they, that they got picked up by by yeah. Disney, National Geographic, and yeah. so on. So it's interesting to watch them. And getting, you know, they're they're chugging along and what they do with the kids and how they get. Yes. That'd be, yeah. I it's would, such a challenge. It is a challenge, especially, like I say, you, when you got the two of you and trying to get all your gear down a portage yeah. 
and with the kids as well. Oh yeah, and yeah. Oh man, that that just boggles my mind. Just trying to think (laughs) about it, I I wouldn't want to do it. So, kudos to them though for uh, for doing it. So, uh, but no, there was something else I was I was thinking of, and I can't remember what. Oh. Um, we got our chimney thingy out back with all that okay, wood. Yeah, yeah. And I got a bunch of, uh, recipes I'm going to be trying. And I, I think, I can't remember if I mentioned it or not. I'm going to be trying to do baklava. Did I tell you that one? No, you didn't. Well, that'd yeah. be interesting. I'm trying to, trying to do a cheap guy's version so that I can take it to the back country mm-hmm. and use the, the, uh, reflector oven. Oh, okay. Right. So that I can take everything sort of pre-mixed. And you also have like a crock pot or something, but I don't think you take oh, that. Oh, I got the Dutch oven. Dutch oven. But I don't yeah. think you take that in the backcountry. That's oh, pretty heavy. You know what? Like, I would take that and be able to kill a bear with it. <laughs> like, I just one swing of that and, yeah. I watched this man and woman. They uh, they had one of those Dutch ovens and and she did all the, the whole, from start to finish, it was like the sourdough start. It was all mm-hmm. in the backcountry. Sourdough starter, rested the bread, aged the bread. Put it in one of those Dutch ovens and then dropped it into the coals and put coals on top. And yeah. it came up with this lovely, lovely baked bread, sourdough bread. It's like, oh. I well, we did a whole chicken and everything in, it oh, in the yeah, backyard yeah, yeah, there. Oh, yeah, yeah, you and Tracy did. Yeah, we got all that going there with the, the twig stove and the yeah. the chiminea thingy with all the everything. Yeah, we just put the Dutch <laughs> oven into that and we were doing carrots and we did like a whole meal. Yeah. Over that, and you're just our neighbors are looking at us like, "What's going on over there? What are those weirdos up to?" <laughs> we, but we yeah. better call the police. There's homeless people in the backyard. <laughs> in the back, I wonder <laughs> they know. <laughs> but no, because you you sort of get stuck with the same desserts mm-hmm. in in the in the reflector oven. So I'm trying to take some you of these. Get used to certain things, comfortable yeah. making. You yeah, tend I mean, like not the to Pillsbury or the, the crescent rolls and stuff are yeah. in the tubes. Okay, you yeah. know, you just pop those open yeah. and make. You make croissants, or you're making uh, um, uh, cinnamon rolls. If there wasn't a fire bed, I had planned. I had a list of stuff that I was going to bring on our trip. Yeah, and so those those crescent rolls, and you know the the uh, the the little tube that you pop open. Yeah, there's the cinnamon rolls. I I was gonna I was gonna pick up a few of those, and I thought, oh, I want to do some backcountry stuff. So I had a whole box of outback oven and stuff, but. You know, the fire ban was on, so it all got left behind. Yeah. But, you know, there, there's just certain things that you just get used to. It's, hey, do you want cookies this time or do you want yeah. cinnamon rolls? Or do you want to make little, little cookies cakes or yeah. whatever? So S'mores. I'm trying to do some of the recipes that I make at home. Um, and now that I found this uh, Middle Eastern bakery around the corner from my work. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I got to stop going for Turkish coffee and pastries because <laughs> it's going to kill me. Uh, but there's some stuff like that with yeah. the phyllo pastry and stuff and the nuts and yeah. honey and what. I mean, you, you make the the, the the nut mixture, okay, put it in a baggie, yeah, yeah. and you can get phyllo pastry and wrap it around like a ice pack or something that'll keep it for a day or two. Yeah. Um, and then honey, you just stick in a little container. And realistically... You could make stuff like that in the reflector oven. Oh, exactly. You just, yes. Yeah. Y- yeah. You're out there. You can, it should. It's easy enough to. Yeah. In theory. In theory. Make. Well, I made sourdough bread on my reflector oven when I was right? camping in the winter. Yeah. So it's easy enough to make. So I'm I'm sort of getting a bunch of my recipes together to start trying them out in the backyard and. Mm-hmm. 
See how well they do. Try them in the backyard first. See how to make it work. See what the complications are that you'd have to prepare for. Because once you're in the backcountry, if it's like you run into complications, well, it just gets ruined because you're missing something or there's... Yeah. My biggest thing that I have found a must-have when baking is parchment paper. Oh, yes. Yes. I've made big ass cookies before yeah because everything sort of melts together and then they're stuck saves but, you a lot of cleaning if you oh bring yeah you paper. put some parchment paper on yeah. the bottom you put the cookie and even if you end up yeah. with a cookie the size of a soccer ball yeah you know you and still just comes right and up it's and, and it's paper so it's not like tinfoil you can you know you crunch it into a ball and you ruin the tinfoil mm-hmm. you can roll and fold the parchment paper and just undo it it's just parchment right? paper so that's that's what I do. I always have some of that uh, mm-hmm. on hand. So, anywho, uh, that's all I got today. Yeah, I've got nothing left to add. I got nothing. Uh, two weeks from now, I'm on four day holiday, oh, yeah. four day canoe trip. Yeah, going up to Tamagami for four so days. So do we have to record ahead, do we? Nope. No, no. It's uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, ah, Sunday. We're golden. We're golden. We're great. <laughs> we're fantastic. All righty. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com, and you can listen or download all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. Did you forget your name? I did. Okay. (laughs) 